Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners, Fintrepid Solutions, and Pivotal Advisors. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. Coming to you from uh, Gilbert, Arizona, I'm actually in my home office today, and I really, really, really wish I was not in my home office today because, unfortunately, my AC went out in the last uh, 24 hours. And uh, as you can imagine, Gary, being from uh, Minnesota, it's a little hotter here than it is from where you are. It's 85 degrees inside my house right now. So luckily, I've got a portable AC unit to the side here that's keeping me cool for this. But I really wish I were somewhere else today. But I am excited to uh, to have our guest on today. And obviously, I love co-hosting with Gary Braun. But before we jump into that, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast, we've been doing this for a little over two years, about 120 episodes in. And we are a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. It's an opportunity to highlight a new business owner every single week. We've been doing that since May of 2020. And we have them come on and tell their story and and share what it is that they've learned along the way and give them an opportunity to have content that they can share on their social media channels. Because we believe that the backbone of the American economy truly is the small business owner. And we want to highlight that. So with that today, uh, with that said today, I should say we do definitely have a tycoon of small biz on the program with us today. I've had an opportunity to spend some time with her over the last few weeks. Her name is Jamie Maldonado. She's founder and principal of Gem Design Studio LLC out of Peachtree City, Georgia. Jamie, welcome to the, sh- to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to, to unpack a little bit more about what it is that you've done. You've got an interesting story, which is what was most intriguing to us uh, about having you on. Obviously, uh, you're going to be speaking a language that may be a little bit different than some of our uh our listeners and even the hosts today, right? Because I wouldn't say that either of us are uh, interior design professionals, but we wanted to hear your story. So before we jump into kind of the business side and really kind of what led you to where you are with Jam Design, why don't we back up a little bit and have you tell us about you personally? So where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Are you married? Have you been married? Do you have kids? What is what is Jamie's personal life look like? Yeah, sure. Um, So I have two children, both grown. I just moved my second one into college this last week. That was an interesting transition and they're amazing in the light of my life. But backing up, you know, I was born in Denver, Colorado. My parents were missionaries shortly after I was born. So we moved around a lot every two and a half years, basically. So it's, it was an interesting upbringing because it provided a lot of variety, a lot of different environments, different people types, different situations. It taught me a lot of things that I've been able to use in the business world for sure. My dad was also a carpenter. So my first exploration with construction and things that like that was my dad introducing me to all of the power tools when I was probably way too young to be playing with power tools. But if you were to see my garage right now, I have all of them still. So, you know, it's a good skill to have. But um, 
Yeah. So we moved every two years. My parents were missionaries. And eventually we settled in Peachtree City, Georgia, as I was going into high school. And my father was an entrepreneur, having been a carpenter previously and in a couple different industries. He started a fencing company and it went from our garage to being incredibly large. And I had the blessing of being able to watch what that looked like. It's scary. Like it kind of, in a lot of ways would say, Hey, don't go start a business because it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but I had a great upbringing and training in that, in that, uh, I learned flexibility and resilience. And if you don't have what you need, get creative, find it, figure it out, make it. There's no excuse ever. Just keep going. And with that, I went off to college after I graduated here in Georgia, and I was actually an engineering student. Did not finish. I changed course. I got married and then had my kids and ended up doing a lot of freelance design and construction. I kind of fell into design. Um, I've always loved it, but you know how they say never take something you love and turn it into a job? because uh, you'll lose the passion. So I was hesitant to turn it into a full-time job, but it it just grew. I started in real estate staging and small construction jobs. Next thing I knew, I was doing full designs, continuing to grow to such a point that I decided it was time to go back to school. So I went back and I graduated from Savannah College of Art and Design here in Atlanta. It's been nonstop whirlwind for the last 20 years, just one thing after the other. And it's been really exciting. I've had the opportunity to work in a lot of different niches of the industry. Um, some of them I didn't know existed. A lot of them, I think people don't stop and think about how much design is needed and where it's needed. They just, you know, we live in a world that's fully designed everywhere. Everything is designed by somebody. And it gets overlooked sometimes that somebody had to sit down and stop and think about that and figure that one out. So it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there in this, in this industry and in this world of creativity. But yeah, I would say my upbringing was hugely influential. My, my father taught me resilience, toughness, and skills. And my mother taught me emotional intelligence, communication, and the importance of empathy. And that plays a huge part when you are a business owner, being able to have the skill set, and then at the same time, be able to communicate and empathize with your client or the end user at another level gives you a leg up on just the facts of the, the job. You hit kind of some of the things that I would have hit on. The fact that you grew up as, as a child of missionaries is very similar to somebody who grows up with parents in the military, right? Where there's a lot of moving, a lot of, a lot of change. You're making new friends. You're starting a new school. You're, you know, you're doing all of those things, which can be very difficult for a child. It can also be detrimental if it's not handled the right way. And it sounds like you had parents who understood that and prepared you for it and helped you to deal with those changes along the way that led you to the successes that you have in business today? Um, yes, I think that they did. I'm not going to say that it was fun. Um, there were some fun stops. We lived in Uganda, Africa. That was great. Um, lived in a couple places in California, loved it. 
as a child, that kind of constant change can be problematic. I was in 13 schools before I graduated high school. So you learn to go with the flow or you break. Those are your options. And I watched my parents go with the flow and I'm one of three children. So my sister, who's two years older, and then a brother who's eight years younger, you know, they went through it too. It's funny though, when you have siblings, sometimes it feels like you grew up in different households when, you know, even though you're going through the same things because of the age you happen to be at Mm. when you're going through that, it changes the outcome. But um, no, they were fantastic. And, And I won't say that I didn't resent it a little bit in the process. But in hindsight, it gave me the skills to just learn how to roll. I see a lot of uh, kids who go through that similar type of background when they have kids of their own. It's very stable. So have you moved a lot with your kids or have you been pretty much in the same place? Um, Been in the same area. Um, Yeah, they've been they've been here in Georgia since they were born. So we had some moving around. Uh, I was married for 23 years and we are no longer married, but in his career, we had to move around quite a bit, but that happened before my son was five. So from the time he was five and from the time my daughter was born, basically we've stayed put and no matter what changes, I, I do have to say, I probably went overboard trying to create stability. I don't never stop to think about it. It just is kind of the side effect. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as parents, we tend to overcorrect on things that were maybe difficult for us or things that we felt were, um, I don't know, unfair is the right way but, or right word, but, you know, it, if, if it was difficult for us or we felt like, uh, you know, we, that made us uncomfortable, we didn't really like that, then we overcorrect on our own children, right? Right. You know, I, I've been guilty of that. My kids are about the same age as yours, Jamie. My kids are 22 and 19. Yep. And so, you know, we're real close in in that. And I grew up in a family. My dad was an entrepreneur, but really just he provided himself a job, right? Yep. He, he had a couple of people that worked for him, but he was really just, he didn't want to work for anybody else. And so he became a stucco contractor and hired a couple of guys as helpers. And that was, you know, as big as his business got. We never had a lot of money. I bought, you know, my own school clothes from the time I was 12. If I wanted to play Little League, I paid for it, you know, all those sorts of things. And I've probably overcorrected on those things, right? Like I didn't want my kids to have to deal with the stress of buying their own school clothes and not being able to participate in certain activities. And so I probably gave them more than I should have. And now I see, you know, it's not my, my kids are really good, but there are some drawbacks to where there's some entitlement issues or they believe that life is easy and that money comes easy and, you know, all those sorts of things. And so we work through that. But that that's my story of the overcorrection. Yeah, I, I tried to be really careful about that, honestly, because what I did thoroughly enjoy and take away from my upbringing was the amount of cultural variety. My children are actually half Puerto Rican, and I wanted to make sure that they maintained that worldview so much bigger than just the U.S. or just the South, really keeping their eyes open and their options open by maintaining some flexibility. So I, I, 
you know, I've, I'm sure I've made some pretty big missteps. You could just ask them. I'm sure they would tell you. Um, <laughs> but I did my best to make sure that they were balanced within that. And, you know, uh, my son just graduated from Kennesaw State. He's an engineer. And uh, my daughter just started at, in, um, at Kennesaw State, also going to be an engineer. So I'm like, well, I, I guess I didn't destroy them. So <laughs> we'll hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm sure they're going to be just fine. And so you mentioned the engineering side. So let's actually start there because when you were talking about design and it being part of everybody's lives, I think that a lot of us, and I've, I'm guilty of this sometimes too, is, is we think, well, you know, design is about making the space look good, right? But it's not just that, right? There's the functional design. Yeah. Talk to us about how your engineering brain, which you obviously passed on to your two kids, helps you to be an even better designer. Because I mentioned earlier that the air conditioning is out in my house today. And I am thinking right now about all the design issues that there are. My, my office has 14 foot ceilings, right? Which is really high for us for a, you know, an office. I mean, really it's a bedroom, but it's my office and that's how I use it. And it does have an entrance from the outside, but that ceiling being so high causes issues even when the air conditioning is functioning because the vent is up there on the ceiling and there's not enough airflow to get it down here. So yeah. that's my example of, of design and, and engineering. So, you know, give us some examples of, of that and how that makes you even better at your job than maybe the typical interior designer. Yeah. So having grown up the way I did, and, and I've been in construction for so many years, I think it's really important to know what's behind the walls, the start to finish process and the role that each of the trades play. When you're designing a house as an architect, you can design a gorgeous house. But if you're not talking to the HVAC um, engineer, for example, and you put 14-foot ceilings and they're not creating enough of a airflow output, then you create a functional problem for the end user. And I think it's really important to look at the big picture, whether it's a house build or whether it's a redesign. I've spent the last eight years doing an extensive amount of multifamily, so apartment complexes. And when I am working on an apartment complex, the, the focus may be a little different, but the end result is the same. That you want the end user to feel comfortable, to feel at home, and the design to be so intuitive that they don't even notice it's designed. My goal is to change how people feel in their spaces. That's always my goal. It's not just about the look, the aesthetic. It's got to be functional. And then on top of that, it's got to hit their soul. Uh, if it doesn't, affect how they feel about themselves, about where they live, about the things they do, then I feel like I failed. And in order to achieve that, it really is pulling together every trade that is necessary. All the pieces have to be talking to each other or else you end up with, you know, really nice pieces that don't fit. A beautiful puzzle that no one ever gets to see because they never quite fit right. So Design communication, I think, is really critical. Whether you're communicating to the client what your intention for the design is, whether the client's communicating to you what their needs are, 
you're communicating to the architects or the contractors or, you know, anybody who's going to be working on that project, communication is critical to making sure that the end result is cohesive and meets the needs and the goal of the original project. Amy, I want to take you all the way back. You've been doing this for 20 plus years, which is awesome. I mean, congratulations. That's a, that's a great achievement. Go back to when you first started. Okay, we open, we hang a shingle, but we're looking for our first customers and whatnot. And, and in those early days, any business is good business, right? Yes. If, if they have a pulse, they're a prospect. Yes. Um, so, so go back and what was it like then when you were trying to get this thing off the ground, you're trying to scrounge up business, you're trying to piece things together. Can you remember what that was like? Oh, clearly, clearly. Um, you know, I was young, um, had a young child and because of my ex's career, there was lots of moving around. So it was very much about creating an income. That's honestly first goal was I needed to make some money. And I knew what I was good at, but then you're trying to find a client and it, it, it happened kind of organic for me, which was fantastic. I offered to do some work for a friend Mm -hmm. and then they passed me on to another friend who, who was willing to pay for said work. And then I, cause I started doing it just because I really did enjoy it. But as it grew and I grew with it. It was really challenging finding your niche, finding, you know, like you said in the beginning, any client, any prospect is a good one. When the truth is uh, the number of red flags I overlooked (laughs) that (laughs) I had clients and I'm like, red flags everywhere, run. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. (laughs) And it sucked in the moment. Honestly, I had jobs that went sideways or that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But the learning curve in those early days was critical to the end result. I remember every time I'm coming to the end of a project, I would be like, oh no, what next? I'm I'm about to run out of work. Mm -hmm. And then two days later, I'd get a phone call. um, And then I'd have more work than I knew what to do with. And it was this ebb and flow that it took a while to learn how to manage that. I will say being an independent business owner, stress and Speed control is really important and something I'm still working on to this day because it does ebb and flow and you have to be able to enjoy it when it slows down and recoup and regain your breath and plan for the next wave. And then when the wave hits, you better hope you're geared up and ready to go. But yeah, those early days were hard. And something that my my father always used to say, and a lot of people do, is fake it till you make it. And I was actually thinking about that the other day in preparation for this talk. And I was like, you know, I actually don't think I fully agree with that. I think it is more have enough confidence in yourself that you have a little more capacity than where you're at. You're not faking it. You just ask yourself, can I do more than what I'm doing right now? If the answer is yes, then when that next thing comes to you, You learn it and then you do it. Um, I'm not saying to learn on other people. I mean, sometimes you do a little bit, but if you have the capacity to do more, then you do more. And it's not faking it. It's living out the skill set with confidence that you can do it. 
And I think that that's what I did. Naivete is beautiful when you're young. I was too young and naive to realize I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. So I did it. And in hindsight, I'm grateful. <laughs> so it worked out. So, so you talked about a lot of red flags that you, you know, just went past because you needed to. So you know, fast forward 20 years, I, I looked at your, your profile and you do stuff in hospitality and multifamily and commercial and office and micro homes. I had still pretty broad swath of stuff that you do. Where's the sweet spot for you? And what do you do to regulate yourself to make sure you're not stepping into those red flags again? I would say the sweet spot at the moment is multifamily and and or hospitality. Multifamily has been my focus over the last eight years. I actually had gone to work for a company out of California and I went as their national design director. And I got the pleasure of building the entire department and overseeing everything in the design world. So building the procurement department and and bringing on design staff, training staff, traveling. I got to get my hands really dirty in that environment. And that was multifamily. So multifamily is something that I I feel like there is a lack of multifamily focused design firms out there. Um, Mm. it's, It's a second thought for a lot of firms. But because of what I was doing, I was able to build a system that is just really spot on for multifamily. So it enables me to execute much cleaner, quicker, clear communication, no additional work that is not absolutely necessary for both teams in design and construction. And I've had my hands in all of those others, and I love it. I like doing micro homes. I I like doing hospitality and boutique. But the big, I would say, bread and butter and main push would be multifamily and and large hospitality would follow that. So, so, so what do you do? So I'm the sales guy, right? I'm always thinking about how do you go top line and everything else. And, and there's a lesson there in getting focused on what your sweet spot is for all the reasons you just said. You can deliver it better. It's cleaner. You got your system done. I love the words that you use. How often do you step outside of that? Or how do you even go about generating the business within the multifamily? Is it yourself doing that? Or do you have other people generating business? I So I have a team of five designers. I'm incredibly blessed. I have some fantastic designers. And I also have some accounting and multimedia help as well. And it's been, so I have just been back full-time as Jam Designs for about five months. So it's been a new shift for me. And I will say, I personally have, I don't, I don't love the sales side. Um, I, I love to design. I love to teach. I love to work with my teams. I do it because it has to be done. And I'm blessed to be the face of the company. So I got to go do this. But I, I've done a couple of different venues, um, you know, trade shows, reaching out to previous contacts that I had within the multifamily world. And honestly, the majority of my work outside of where I just was has come from previous um, co-workers or clients mm-hmm. who have, and that's the way I prefer it. <laughs> I love it when they come back to me and they're like, hey, we we see you're back out doing this. We want you on our project. 
maintaining really high quality relationships with the people I work with has definitely been the long-term best seller. Those, those are the relationships that come back and, and serve you well later. Yeah, it definitely has some benefits, right? So just just to be clear for our listeners, you know, you you've had Jam Design Studios for about 20 years, but a few years back, you were given an opportunity to build out a design department for a pretty large multifamily builder. And you took that opportunity mm-hmm. and ran that. And then you've just transitioned about five months ago back into just your own independent firm. Yes, that's correct. Um, I never fully shut the doors on Jam Designs, but I will say that my time was occupied times 10 with the company I was with. Um, So it it went to the back burner um, and we're really gearing back up right now. That's got to be different going from uh, corporate world back to running your own gig. uh, What what are you liking about that? It's it's definitely a trade-off. I didn't actually intend to go into the corporate world. It was one of those situations where an opportunity presented itself. I was in a position to do it. So I did. And it grew. Being out of corporate world is kind of heaven. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, You know, the amount of red tape and number of communications and the number of cooks in the kitchen in corporate America can really make it complicated. And when it comes to design, it can really water down a design. If the number of voices having an opinion pick too many of the pieces apart, there's not much left at the end. So I really love being out on my own again, where my work and my team's work is fully engaged and fully accepted for what it is at the, as they present it. And it comes off a lot more powerfully. In corporate world, I worked myself into the ground. In running my own business, I can work myself into the ground. I've discovered it's a personality trait, not a location problem. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a matter of, it's, you know, time management and energy management and knowing when to cut yourself a break. I do love now being able to tell myself, hey, you can take a break. You don't have to get up and get on 17 conference calls today. Catch your breath so that you have all the energy you need for what's coming tomorrow. I wish I had learned that earlier. Yeah, work-life balance is actually a a really important thing that Landon and I spend a lot of time working with our clients on. And, you know, the the reality is it's a big, big problem with entrepreneurs. And it's not just about being a workaholic or taking time to spend time with your family, but there's so many stories of entrepreneurs who build great businesses. They become well-known, they're lauded by their peers, but along the way, they, whatever it is, their family fell apart, their health is in disrepair, all kinds of issues, and they end up dying early because they didn't take care of themselves and deal with some of these other really important things in life. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that it's everything in life is about balance. And when you're out of balance in one way or the other, you're going to pay the price. Um, and corporate world put me way out of balance. Um, so coming back into my own, learning what I did in corporate is really helping me work on that better. Um, And ironically, for my team, I'm all about work-life balance. 
sometimes I probably need to apply some of my rules I have for them and my, uh, you know, recommendations for grace and time off and things like that. It would be nice to put those in my own life a little more often, but, um, you know, I'm getting better because it is true. At one point I actually lost my health due to just working myself into the ground and the stress level. My health was going downhill fast and I was way too young for that. It gave me a wake up call, honestly. So last year, uh, I ended up having to have a cardiac procedure done. I'm one of the lucky few who had a bad reaction to a vaccine. And I ended up in the hospital and then had a cardiac procedure. In doing that, literally had a wake-up call on the table going in where I just went, you know what? They're not on this table with me. Who matters when I wake up? And it really helped me put things back in perspective. And that was last November last October. And since then, I have been mildly better about uh, cutting myself some slack and and managing my time. But if you burn the candle at both ends, you're not going to be any good anywhere. And you will burn out and you will give up on your dream or your business because you just can't do it all. Personally, I have found that in business, I have to wear all the hats. At the same time, I have no problem. And in fact, I welcome hiring people who are better at things than I am. So if you're better than me at something, I'm going to hire you and I'm going to give it to you. Uh, Because you can't be an expert at everything all the time in a business. And surrounding yourself with quality people who have got your back and you've got theirs and they can do things that you can't do, that's, that's the key to buying yourself some breathing room, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's really good advice for people who are listening, who are other business owners to understand that it's really important to be able to take some of those hats off and let other people do what they're best at so that you can do what you're best at. And if you don't do that, you're going to hit a plateau in your business and it will never go beyond a certain level. It may be good enough for you, right? It may provide a great life for you and your family. But if you have a desire for it to go past a certain level, Unfortunately, you know, to put it bluntly, we've got to get out of our own way sometimes and let other people do some of the things that they need to do. So we're about to take a break here. We're going to hear a quick call to action. But before that, I wanted to make a recommendation to you and to our listeners of a book that's called Driven. It's the Larry H. Miller story. If you're not familiar with Larry Miller, he's more West Coast, uh, spent more time in Colorado, Utah, Idaho. Uh, Arizona, that that area of the country, and he he built a bunch of car dealerships, and then ultimately purchased the Utah Jazz, uh, the NBA team in in Utah. And he passed away way too young because he didn't take care of some of these things in his life. He built a massive empire by any stretch, had everything that you could possibly want from a from a monetary standpoint and from a business standpoint. But he died very early from complications of diabetes, just plainly because he didn't take care of himself and worked himself too hard. So it's a very, very quick read, but it's very interesting, and I'd recommend it to anybody. So let's take a quick break. We'll hear a quick call to action. We'll come back and spend some more time with Jamie Maldonado of uh, Jam Design Studios. 
Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here with Jamie Maldonado of uh, Jam Design Studio coming to us from Peachtree City, Georgia. She's uh, by every definition or every version of a definition, a Southern belle. And uh, she's very, she's been very kind so far. She's sharing a great story with us. And I want to dig in a little bit more, Jamie. So, you know, obviously you're talking about the importance of, of work-life balance. And quite honestly, I was interviewed for a book earlier today and, and they asked me about my own work-life balance. And I said, well, I mean, I can tell you what I think, but if you want the true answer, you should talk to my my family, right? Talk to my kids, talk to my wife, talk to the people who I spend time with outside of business and let them tell you if I'm actually living that true, you know, work-life balance. But it's an important thing that we all need to kind of work towards. And so let's back up a little bit and talk about, you know, the challenges in building a business that lead to some of those things getting getting out, out of balance, but then let's also talk about the rewards of running your own business. So I'll, I'll let, you know, give you the floor. You can talk about that any way that you choose. I would say starting out and, and the challenges of building your own business, it, it takes a huge amount of commitment. You can't just halfway do it. You, unless you hit, hit the lucky sweet spot somewhere and just fall into something, if you're building a business based off of your skill set or something you're passionate about, then it's going to take a lot of work. And you're the one who has to initiate that. And you have to initiate it mentally before you can initiate it physically. And so there's a mental drain that happens before you even get moving from a physical perspective. And once you do, it's about putting all the pieces in place to get rolling and keep rolling. And it, it's very easy for that process to become all-consuming. It's your mind is completely consumed by this one goal that you have. And it, you know, gets out of control real fast. So I think it's really important to maintain your other focuses spend time every day prioritizing what are the important things in my life as a whole? And then what are the important things for today? Uh, Sometimes there were days when I felt I really needed to go to work, but one of my kids, their top priority always have been, always will be. They needed me that day. I would figure out a way to reconfigure whatever was going on at work. Now, you know, sometimes that's not possible, but you have to find your balance and you, I think it's important that your family understands that as well. They understand that you're trying to, they understand that you will always show up for them. Maybe not for everything, but for all the important things and that you are always there with them, even if you can't be there with them. Because it, yeah, you will, you will fall down that rabbit hole so fast. You won't know 
how it happened or where you went and you lose yourself, you lose your relationships and it takes over. And that's when you usually kind of hit some kind of a rock bottom and go, oh, shoot, I better do something about this. And you have to start finding better methods of finding that balance, Um, whether it's reading specific books. There's a couple of people who I follow and read, and they've helped me along the way. Certain, um, not particularly self-help, but just even lifestyle books that guide you in, remind you, I should say, that it's important to keep your balance. Because if you don't, uh, you will self-destruct. And when you self-destruct, your your business goes with it. So it's remembering what's down the road and what you want at the end. At the end goal, is it only this business that you want? Or at the end goal, are you actually looking for a happy, well-rounded life? The goals are different. So you need to approach the process different. I don't know if you've heard the term, pick your hard. It's, it's something that I use all the time. Things are hard. Uh, pick your heart. It's hard to be poor. It's hard to work all the time. It's hard to be skinny. It's hard to be heavy. You have to work for, you know, maintaining your muscle mass. It's not easy to be on either side of these. So pick your heart. And when you apply that to your business and your family, I think it translates across really well with each choice. Pick your heart which one is harder and which one has the end result that you're looking for. Hey, Jamie, one of the things that uh, a lot of founders, owners fall into is as you start growing, you bring other people into the organization and you have to delegate, you have to let go of things, which is really hard because of course nobody can do it as well and as fast and as efficient as you can. And you got to let people have you got to that point? Have you had to deal with that? How did that go? Oh, yes, absolutely. Getting out of my own way, as, as Austin was saying earlier. It's really hard when you're more type A. You, you want mm-hmm. to do it. You want to do it best. You want to do it complete every single time. And no matter how much you love your team, there's always a piece of you that's like, oh, but I could put this in here and I could put this in here. And that would, you know change it. And, and I did have to learn the hard way because actually while I was with my previous company, I was working for the workload was massive, absolutely massive. There just was not enough hours in the day. And it, and I remember one day I just kind of broke and I was like, I hired some fantastic people who are really, really talented. If I believe they're actually talented and good at this, I need to step back. And, and I had a conversation with them and was like, listen, I don't like to micromanage anyways. It's not my personality type, but you guys are kind of on your own a little bit uh, because I can't, I can't oversee all of this and I got to let it go. And I'm really blessed at the moment. I, I took with me as, as my previous company restructured and the department ended up going a different direction. I got to keep some people who I've been working with for years and they are amazing. And each of them has a different skill set that I'm like, oh, that's you. You got that? Run. I'm not even going to... As a business owner, you have to oversee everything. I think it's important to know what's going on, but you don't have to know how to do every single detail. You have to know who you can trust and you got to get out of your own way and just go, it's all right. It's going to be all right. They're good. 
and I'm going to live. But but that's a difficult one. Um, one of the ways I've gotten through that, honestly, is I have a motto. It's I don't fail. I'm just not done yet. Whenever anybody asks me how to go, I'm like, well, I don't fail. I'm just not done yet. So if it goes wrong with somebody who I've entrusted it with, it's not a failure. It's just not done. We got to come back. We got to take a look at it. We got to try again. We got to find a creative approach and a solution that gets us to done and good because failure is not an option. <laughs> There's a body of work by a group called the Corporate Life Cycles. They talk about the founder's trap. That's one of them. You know, you get to a point where you just can't let go because, hey, nobody can do it as good as me. And then you get to the next point in your scale where you're trying to, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did things the same way twice in a row? So we try to get systems and process and structure in place. Mm-hmm. But then I don't want to live by my own rules. So then I drop back to doing it the old way. You know, those are all the, the growing pains, if you will, but they're traps. And founders, us as business owners, are the most guilty people of falling into those traps. Absolutely. I was I was blessed over the last couple of years to get to build new systems. Mm. Whenever you come into an industry and you're looking around going, this is how everyone does it. And I'm going, and this is stupid. <laughs> this is how everyone does it. And there are major flaws in this process. And it could be easier, faster, cheaper, and more efficient and better in the end. Why are we doing it that way? And I was given some freedom in recreating and which is one thing like we talked about earlier. If there's something that gives me a, an edge up in the industry, it's that I was able to recreate a system that that is not out there anywhere else and is capable of cleaning it up. At the same time, like you said, you create systems. And then you don't want to get trapped in your own systems. So <laughs> you start to say, okay, I got to get a little outside the system. And you're like, oh, but it worked. Why am I doing that? And it's it's a vicious cycle. Although yeah. I, you, what you brought up is an important thing. It's uh, there are a ton of designers, interior designers, exterior designers, everything else. You, it sounds like you're finding a way to differentiate yourself, to, to stand out from the crowd. And that's hugely important. So how do... What do you do to go stand out from the crowd? One thing is my experience in every aspect. There's not very many designers or design firms who have individuals within them who have done everything. I actually used to lay tile. I used to install hardwood floors. I used to frame and sheetrock. I know exactly how all of this works. And that gives me one step faster in the process when I'm doing design work to go, oh, okay, that's not, that's not feasible. Okay. That's not to code. It's the trades talking to each other, but they're talking in my own head. And that's something that has been a huge advantage to me. And then on top of that, I think that one of the challenges I see in the design industry is uh, transparency. A lot of people are eager to overpromise. You're setting yourself up for failure. Underpromise, overdeliver every single time but know what you can actually do and be consistent at doing it. Every single time you get it done, you get it done on time, you get it done on budget. And, you know, of course there's always external circumstances that can shift that or get in your way, but it should be something that is your primary goal. And one of the ways that I achieved that is I, I learned very early on how to pad 
how to pad my expectations, how to pad my timelines, how to pad a budget, how to manage a budget. So if a client thinks that they want this project done for 100K, I'm shooting at 80 because I know better. (laughs) And then when all the things go wrong that will go wrong because they will, hopefully we're under 100K. So the problem is aiming at the goal without making any adaptation for the inevitability of chaos. It's going to happen. So why keep pretending it's not? Just yeah. learn to roll with it and fix it. Gary, you've never seen any salespeople over promise, have you? No, <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm in business, aren't I? Right? <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting though, Jamie, you mentioned a couple of things that are that are differentiators and it really comes down to running the business, right? You you do have some skill sets that that most designers just don't have, right? Most designers have never laid tile. They've never framed a house. They've never sheetrocked a room. They've never done any of that kind of stuff, right? But the reality is the customer doesn't really care about that. It's the trades that you're dealing with that that can see right away, oh my gosh, Jamie knows more about my business than I thought she did, right? And because you're you're lumped in there with these trades, contractors, whoever, you know, whoever it is, you know, I, I would I just had this conversation yesterday with my business partner and one of our one of our co-hosts, Landon, that you met in our pre-call. In the trades, I, I just feel like it's wide open to make a diff to, to differentiate yourself because really all you have to do to be different is to show up on time and do what you promised, right? There are so many contractors that are just terrible at those two things. Yes, I 100% agree. And and I think one of the big issues too, one, when you're, you know, every client is a good client, you tend to overpromise. And then you have your clients where you should have run They start sucking up 90% of your time and energy. And then your good client over here ends up paying the price for it. So having a good system of watching for red flags. In the early days, I used to put what I called a PIA tax. If I saw that a client was going to be incredibly complicated and take more time than usual, I had to budget that in both the time and financially to make sure that I didn't handicap myself in the process. And it is time, showing up on time, doing what you said you would do and doing it well. That's it. That's all it takes. But I think people are afraid to be honest. When I'm approaching a client, I'm like, listen, I will never tell you something that I don't 100% believe I can execute. So if I tell you that I think it's going to be four months, however, we're counting on six. Just count on six because then there's not the disappointment and there's an understanding of the timelines that none of the trades can do their thing without the other one. You know, um, critical scheduling where it's A has to be finished before B can start, before C can come in halfway through D, you know, all of that. It takes one piece falling out before the whole thing crumbles. So it's it's really uh, that is something that I would I do take pride in and hope does truly differentiate me and my team is that what you see is what you get and we will always we don't fail we're just not done yet 
you know, I, I've got I've got a story of uh, I, I had my basement in my last house. I had my basement finished. It was a big project, big basement, everything else. And something that you were talking about, I've laid tile. I've done this. I had the conversations going on in my head. Made me think of this particular story, and I thought I knew what I wanted. Sometimes you got all your customers who think they know what they want, right? Yep. And I had like four different people come in and bid on it. And they're like, well, I'm going to have to move that. And I have to, that's a load bearing and I got to do this. I got to do the other thing. And they all came in and they gave me their bids. And the last guy came in and he went, are you open to ideas? And I went, yeah. He goes, don't put your fireplace there. And now I'm feeling a little insulted, like I'm stupid. Wait. He goes, you're putting it right there. All your heat's going right up the stairs, which are right there. You need to put it over there. Are you going to watch TV down here? Well, yeah. Okay, all your lights coming in. It's going to put a ter- terrible glare there. You want to take this beam out or this post out? You don't want to do that. That A, it's load-bearing. It's going to ter- create a tremendous amount of cost. What if we make it like a part of the bar that's like a cheers and it looks really yeah. good? And I'm sitting there. I paid a hell of a lot more with this guy than I paid with everybody else. But he knew how everything flowed together. So don't sell yourself short on that stuff. Um, you know, Landon, you said that the contractors will enjoy it. The customers enjoy that too, if they if you can explain why it's important to them. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um I kind of uh pride myself in thinking outside the box because like I said about my upbringing, I had no choice. Um half the time there wasn't a box. So it was just figure it out. It creates some really wonderful creative solutions if you have clients who are open to looking at it a different way. And and like you said, most contractors are just going to come in, give you what you asked for, and walk out. The good ones are going to make suggestions based on their expertise. I would want the same. If I had an electrician come in to redo lighting in my house, he better bring his A-game and tell me exactly where everything needs to go in order to run it well and, you know, get the most out of everything. That's what he does full-time. I don't do electrical full-time. I hope he has that together. And I know that people hope that from their their contractors as well. So that's the goal. <laughs> Absolutely. So First, I want to thank Gary for accidentally calling me Landon because Landon is better looking and younger than me. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, and second, we um, believe it or not, we've come to the end. So we're we're kind of at the end of our time here. I want to turn it back over to you, Jamie, and just kind of share, you know, quickly the whole Jam Design story, right? Like, where are you working? Who should be interested in engaging Jam Design? How do they find you? those sorts of things. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so I'm easy to find. You can either look up my name, Jamie Maldonado, um, jamiemaldonado.com goes to my website, Jam Design Studio. Um, they all go to the same place. So easy to find on Instagram and on LinkedIn. I'm nationwide uh, because of the team that I have and the experience I had with the previous company. I've worked in, I want to say like 37 states. So. I can go anywhere. Multifamily is, I would say, our bread and butter, our number one point. But I've done a lot of hospitality and boutique and unique projects. If there's something strange, never been done before, not sure, bring it. I want that. I want I want an opportunity to take a stab at it and come out 
with a fantastic solution to a problem that hasn't been solved before. Yeah, so I'm in Atlanta. Technically, the company is based in Atlanta, but we're everywhere and growing. And my team and I did over 200 projects in the last eight years. I did about 70 on my own prior to that. So tons of experience, lots and lots of assets at our fingertips between, you know, vendors and contractors and just general knowledge. So I would love to hear from anybody who's looking for a renovation in, in, in multifamily. We do the whole thing, not just the interiors. Um, that's something too. I do all the site amenities, exterior mock-ups, um, fitness centers, all interior amenities, pools, anything that requires uh, resident engagement, we got it. And we've done it a lot. So we understand our demographics and where we want to go and where you want to go so that we can make your job easier in multifamily. My goal is always, I want the lease sold before anyone ever talks to a leasing agent. They need to walk into one of my spaces and it needs to hit them in such a way that they go, I must live here before mm -hmm. anyone's even tried to sell to them. That is my goal every single time. Very cool. I, for one, have really appreciated the conversation. I think your story is fascinating. We didn't even talk about the fact that your that your husband was a major or minor league baseball player and, and how difficult that is. People think it's glamorous. It's not. It's a lot of time on buses. It's a lot of small stadiums and it's very little money. Yes. Yes. And he, that was a different world. That was another stage in my world. Um, and you know, unfortunately we're not together anymore, but that was a huge part of my life and baseball is, yeah, I see your backdrop. Um, it is definitely America's pastime and it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation as well about learning something. I know nothing about. There's a reason I have a virtual background. That's <laughs> not my strength. So I, thank you for spending time and uh, teaching us a little bit about something I know nothing of. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation and, and um, I appreciate the the platform and, and the great information that you guys have shared as well. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Really appreciate it. been listening to tycoons of small biz a podcast for small business owners by small business owners join us every tuesday at 1 p.m arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content